Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This week's episode is with Adam LaRue, who is a friend that I have known for I think 10 years now. He is an artist manager, but has been in the music industry for a long time. He's worked at record labels. He's worked at tech startups involving advertising and music. He is a college professor who teaches about music. And for all those reasons, I'm very excited for y'all to hear this one. We specifically talk about not only Adam's story and how he got to where he's at now, but he shares a lot of advice on how to not get burnt out. And I think that that's a really important piece that all of us need to hear right now. I don't know why, I don't know how it is, but in the last year or so, the amount of people that I have talked to that feel burnout and that have just felt so exhausted and overworked is crazy. So everything he shared there was super insightful and super helpful. And on that note, let's get into it. Enjoy. Where are all my friends? Here we are, Adam LaRue, and it is about time that this episode is happening because we have been friends i was thinking about this a long time i my first memory of our friendship was south by southwest Mm -hmm. in texas and i don't remember the year maybe you do but we were like we met through our mutual friend francesca caldera and i think that we were in line for we were eating i maybe you were in line but i thought we were eating lunch okay Okay. At the at the Hilton. Yeah, I just remember yes. all I remember of you was you had an app that could or maybe it was just Twitter, but you had an account where you knew all the lines and like all of the like showcases and I was oh, like right. this guy's on it. Yeah. And that was my first memory of you. Oh, I was like this great. friendly guy is on it. Yeah, when you do South by when you first do South by Southwest, you got to do stuff like that. Now it's like I don't even go. It's like Yeah. I, I'm too old and grumpy. You think it'll come it'll it has to come it'll back come after back. Yeah, pandemic? I think um somebody just bought it like c3 bought it or something some so it's it's or maybe it's owned by live nation or ag it's like some some big company ended up buying it like the whole thing yeah. like as yeah. wow yeah. crazy oh okay well, no, um anyway for yes. a listener who doesn't know who you are and what you do or for if we could go back to the past and tell andrew in that food line that just met you who you are and what you do what, what uh what would you say in a quick a quick summarization of of Jeez. who you are and what you do. Well, right now I'm a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a masochist. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a manager. I manage it's Jerry Harrison from Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. And, I've heard of them. And I co-manage the Talking Heads business entity. Yep. Uh, I represent Jerry's interests. Mm-hmm. I manage an artist named Gravitz. I manage a metal band from Australia called Dreg on They're Epitaph. Cool. Yeah. Yes. They have a tank in their video. It's they really crushed great. a whole car with a they tank. They crushed a whole car with a tank. Yeah. Crazy Aussies. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do I have? Um, I manage a couple writers, producers called Sharks. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of teaching. I teach yeah. college. Yeah. Which is, uh, I was going to say it's newer, but it's not actually. You've been, yeah, you've been five teaching. Five or six years now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's, I guess, with this podcast, it's so funny, like right before it started, I was like, it's always tricky with the people that have been in the game and done so much because mm-hmm. it's a lot to cover in sure. a little bit of time. But I, where I like to start is going back to like the OG days of you finding music or finding that spark of like the beginning of your career path, like where that is and the oh, events that led geez. up to that. I'm always um, so interested in that. Yeah. You know, 
after college, I went and got what I like to call my big boy job. And I worked for um, Safeway Corporation in the, corp- in the corporate offices. Like the grocery store? Uh, yeah, the gro- it was the grocery store. I worked in the corporate offices of the headquarters. Oh, no shit. And I was like the, um, for anyone old enough to remember, they called me the Dell dude because I had like bleached white hair and like a, or a dog channel. It was this punk kid who just knew, knew like HTML and, and, and all that stuff. Oh, this nice. was 25 years ago. Wow. Uh, I mean, a long time ago. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, but I was, like, I was managing ska bands in Orange County, like, really mediocre ska bands in Orange County, and, and that was when, like, the ska scene was really, really big, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, that's how I, I just would go to shows. I mean, this was, like, when Chain Reaction wasn't even Chain Reaction yet, you know? It was called Public Storage. It was, was it the same spot? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was yeah. called Public Storage? It was called Public Storage. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So, but then that means that you grew up in like the Southern California. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. I wasn't I mean, I'd sure go about the shows that. like when I was fifteen. I mean, you know, I saw you know Rancid and Green Day when I was like fifteen. You know, when I was maybe sixteen, seventeen years old, when I was the same age as they were. Whoa, crazy. Maybe I was a little bit older because I think they're because I'm forty six now. So, so, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I saw like Nirvana. It's just so nuts. Like that's, I think when we first met and like kind of some of my first impressions of you was I thought it was so cool that you had been in the game for so long. And, and that you was a long still, time ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fine, yeah. We probably met. It's been probably 10 years at least. Yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. So like, I just thought that that was so cool that you had been in it and you had all these experiences from genuinely different eras of music. Sure. Because those stories to me, like, I really like to look at the people that have been in it for a minute. Yeah. Because, <laughs> that rhymed. Because I feel like they have this perspective and this knowledge that you can learn from when you apply it. It's like, I can ask you all these questions about, like, when you were working on this project at this time or, like, what, like, the, the culture was of this. Sure. And it all kind of continues to advance and apply to what we're doing now. Well, and to, to your point, you know, I'm kind of a music history geek. You are. And you're always making me playlists yes, of eras I that I don't playlists, know. You know. I'm like, I like the cure, and you're like, that's funny. Here's, yeah, here's he, what made this right, happen. Here's what made the cure happen. You know, like, and you know, I, I read a ton of history books, mm-hmm. and um, and it's really important, I think, for a music executive to know not just one or two generations prior to them, but yeah. five or six generations. The thing I'm obsessed about right now is the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927, and how. And that's how, music that's yeah, no, no, no. and how and how that spurred the great migration um to for everybody in the south to move up to to the northern parts of the united states and then in the midwest and that's how it started how soul started and you know motown and stack or stacks was actually in memphis but you know motown and, and all that stuff and and the chicago scene where mavis staples and curtis mayfield and sam cook and all these people came from it was all because of the great mississippi flood of 1927 that spawned everything that happened up until uh, in the 60s holy shit I legitimately thought you were about to troll me. I thought you started no, talking about the Mississippi flood, and I was like, "That's yeah, funny. You're just no, calling out the random." The Mississippi history. River flooded and and expanded like a hundred miles in each direction. It was really crazy, dude. Do you, it was uh, a major disaster. I don't doubt that. I don't know anything of it, but <laughs> yeah. I don't doubt that. Yeah. So, do you think that you found lessons like now as like because you naturally just like studying that stuff, yeah. but like you you legitimately have found yeah, lessons totally. even as you look back. Yeah, even practical lessons, you know. Um, when I started managing Jerry Harrison, yeah, he's seventy 
two years old right now. Yeah. And I'm able to talk to him about things that happened when he was growing up, you know, as far as yeah. music. And, and I connected with him on that level. Like yeah. I know about the Velvet Underground and he was in the Modern Lovers prior to that, which is a, a, you know, one of the bands that invented punk rock really. Yeah. And so I talked all about the Modern Lovers. I know about all that stuff. And, and he's like, you know, how do you know about this stuff? That's how I connect with artists is that I can, t especially legacy artists like Jerry and some of the artists I worked with like at, at Anti, which is, I talked a lot about, about their generation because I knew it. That's really cool. And yeah. I think it just shows that you genuinely love it. Sure. So, okay. So take me, so you were Safeway, working Safeway, just going yeah. to shows, loving going music to shows, for the sake of music. And then, I was making obscene amounts of money. Really? And oh yeah, it's just obscene amounts of money. And then they laid off like, uh, like eight thousand people or something like, like a huge amount of people. Yeah. And and I was like miserable in the job. I hated. Mm. It. I was like a fish out of water because it was very conservative. I have to wear a tie every day or suit, an actual suit every day. I'm like, this sucks. I was laid off, and and then I decided that I'm gonna go in music full time. Wow. And then I started at Fearless Records as the publicist. Holy shit. And I had no idea what a publicist did. They just, you know, I had friends there and I forgot you worked at Fearless. And and they said, you know, <laughs> uh, we need a publicist. You want you want to join us? And I said, Okay, sure. Twist my arm, I'll do it. And you know, I went from making like $125,000 a year to eleven dollars and fifty cents an hour. And hundred and twenty-five K, you said one twenty-five? Yeah. And that time is even a bigger flex. Yeah, that was in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's fucking, that's, I mean, that still can be doctor yeah. money, but that's like. Yeah, it was, it was but but I was so much happier. Like, you know, I, I was miserable in that corporate job. Yeah, that's a good lesson and, to learn early. You know, and I, I worked in Fearless for a long time from from the days of at the, I mean, early, there was like five of us there. You know, it was at the drive-in, it was Sugar Colt, it was Plain Wet Tees during the whole Heather Delilah phase. It was Gatsby's American Dream, which we you know Johnny, our friend yeah. Johnny loves um, and, and discovered them. I mean, there was a lot of like a developing artists as well. I mean, it was all developing artists at that point. I legitimately forgot that that was like an era of your career. And that's so huge. Like you were a part of like a, a, a massive piece of history yeah. for the label. Yeah, yeah. That's like the heyday of like the beginning of what gave Fearless like the cred that it has. Sure. Yeah. Holy shit. So, okay. So instantly you go from making ball and money, but just knowing that you were unhappy, loving music, you get yeah. to fearless and you're like, I don't give a shit about money. Like I'm just doing this thing that I love. I'll figure out the job. Yeah. yeah. And through that time, like, because you didn't know the title publicist, did you have a feeling where you like, this is my end goal? Like, this is it? Or no, was it just like, I mean, you didn't really care about no, the title? It, it, I didn't care label. about the title. It was just, here's your job. You call up people and talk about your bands. Like, okay, I can do that. Got it. I have yeah. no fear. I, I don't I don't have any problems calling any stranger over the phone and saying, hey, let's talk about my bands. Right. I so. had no problem with that. But I, I, I loved it. I, I had a lot of fun, and, you know, and I, I created long lasting friendships with like all the AP people. Yeah. You know, this is when, you know, AP Alternative Press was in its prime. Yeah. It was just Mike Shea, who's the founder of, of, of Alternative Press, is a great friend to this day. You know, right. I became a lot of friends with, you know, people at Rolling Stone and Spin and. Right, and, because you were doing publicity and right. like those. Yeah. But such valuable relationships. Here's the thing. There was five of us. <laughs> So you were doing a lot more than I was than doing PR. a lot more than that. I was the radio guy. 
I was the quote unquote new media guy. And this was, this was pre-Facebook. This was pre-Twitter. This was right when YouTube had started, when, when I actually was placing ads on the front page of YouTube for like the a thousand bucks. The front page of YouTube. <laughs> um, I mean, this was like right when YouTube had started. This was like, you know, MySpace, when even MySpace was type of, the, of a thing. But even before that, it was like Makeout Club. Do you remember Makeout Club? You're probably, there were probably not many people remember Makeout Club. It was the first social network, you know? It was, um, you know, it was, it was all that stuff. Yeah. And when print magazines were really a thing and, but I was doing radio, I was doing publicity, I was doing new media. I was managing the street team when actually we would send stuff to people to hand out, Dude. you know, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was none of that stuff. So you couldn't do it digitally. It was all hand to hand. It's crazy to me. Like as you're painting this picture in my head, I'm like, you couldn't ask for better real life experience. Like oh, yeah. what an era and what jobs to like, to be new media at that time, like to be figuring that out and all of these pieces, like what, what, uh, that'd be like 2000, like mid 2000s, late. No, 90, oh my 99, God. maybe 2000 to, well, was, I started there, I believe at the, at the end of 99, and worked there all the way until 2006. Oh my God. So that's like, you're the reason that me as a fan of music would see the shit that I would see in magazines. Um, perhaps. I th I like to think that it was the bands that were the reason, <laughs> it was the artists that was the reason, not, it wasn't necessarily me. I was just helped facilitate it. It's just, it's nuts. Like right. again, because you have that like generation on me, you have the years ahead of me. Like I'm thinking about like those were the years where I was like finding music for the first time. Like that's like yeah. me getting like my first round of CDs of like the mail-in catalogs with sure. the stickers and I got yeah. Blink-182 and Green Day and yeah. I was like, oh. And yeah. like. It's weird to think that this was more than 20 years ago because it feels just like yesterday to me. Does it? it really yeah. does, yeah. Uh, but you've always had that love of music. Like I feel like. Sometimes I love it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I can, can always talk like. talk a lot about, about music and, and we'll, we'll go yes. and get into it, I'm sure. I feel like I'm just like always like prodding you for these stories and like yeah. you don't look back, like you're not jaded about it. Like you're always happy to tell me these stories. Sometimes I'm jaded. And, yeah, yeah. Fair. I love right. telling stories though. So yeah. Uh, another piece. So you do, you hold it down at Fearless and we could probably do just an episode on that, but I think yeah. you painted that well. Um. I know at a certain point you go to a company called Indie Click, and I think that's like maybe like around when I met you. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was probably at Indie Click at the time, and and Indie Click was interesting because again, it was a small company. I was probably the fifth or sixth employee there. We were an entertainment marketing firm. You know, major labels, indie labels would come to us and say, "I've got ten thousand dollars to spend, fifty thousand dollars to spend, hundred thousand dollars to spend. Yeah. Tell us how to spend it." Yeah. And then we would tell them how to spend it. And then we would spend it in our, in our network of like, you know, we would go to like, we would give Jason Tate absolute punk a bunch of money and say, uh -huh. Hey, put ads on it. You know, we would rep, we were representing absolute punk and pure volume, we were pure volume, you know, and all yeah. that stuff like, and so we were doing a lot of advertising, media planning and a lot of marketing consulting. Um, and I became like the head of the music division. I was dealing with everything. I did Lady Gaga campaigns. I did. Bieber campaigns. I did Blink-182 campaigns. Uh, gosh, I mean, tons of, you name the artists, I probably had something to do with it where the major labels would come to us and the, and even the indie labels would come to us and say, hey, 
you know, can you help us with this? Holy crap. This was, and this was also during the time when, you know, illegal downloading was in full force. Interesting. And so there was a huge headcount cut at record labels. So record labels didn't have the band, people the, at, the, at the record labels didn't have the bandwidth to do all that stuff. And that's where we came in to be able to do, to, to, to kind of fill in the gap that their headcount, their staff couldn't do. What a great point to make to paint that picture. Because yeah, like labels at that time probably were struggling. Really contracted. And yeah. like, it was not like the, the glory days of labels where there was no. budget for everything. So for a company to come in, like we can just run this right it was really a great timing right and and th there was no budget i mean this was like squeezing blood out of stone for a lot of that stuff because wow. but it was it was you know it was fine like you know i used all my training and all my contact all the, all the record labels to bring in a lot of new business yeah wow so and, you were valuable like yeah everything that you had done did i miss any steps like did it go fearless straight to indie click yeah, went straight to indie click yeah okay, okay i got burned out at fearless like i got to the point where where you know we I wasn't making a lot of money. I was struggling. I was using IndieClick um, actually as a um, as a vendor of mine when I was at Fearless and made friends with them. And and the president, she just said, well, "Why don't you just come work for work for me?" Whoa. And I I thought about it. I said, "Why don't I?" You know. But I was I was you know really I was just burned out. I was you know going to shows a lot. And, you know, I was making ends meet. I was like bartending at a gay bar, you know, I was Whoa. doing all that stuff just, just to like a couple of days a week, just to, to, to pay my bills Wait, and pay more parking tickets. Oh, <laughs> during the fearless days, because right. as happy and as, as fulfilled as you were, that was still huge pay cut. Right. Huge and pay cut. I'm sure like that is when the industry was contracting and right. record sales. Yeah, so yeah. like, it's, it's not like you were like thriving and no. like falling outrageous. No, I wasn't making a ton of money at all. And it was really my first real job in the music business. I was managing ska bands, you know, in Orange County prior to that, but it wasn't real, real, you know, it wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't a lot of, a lot of stuff really kind of going on. Um, you know, I thought I knew what the hell I was doing, but I really didn't. Didn't you have a blog too at one point, like a music? Uh, yeah, I started a. It was a. It was an actual. It was a message board. This is when message boards were. Oh, made. crazy! Like a forum. Um, it was Same a blog. It was a. What's that? Is it like, like a forum? Right. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. I call it. And a forum. And it was queerpunks.com because I was this out gay dude yeah. who didn't know really any other gay dudes in in the scene. Right. Because again, we talk about like a different time. Like, right. That was probably a whole different yeah. scene. Because now it's like so accepted. It's just totally. like, yeah, dude, what right. up? Cool. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, I was the, the token homo, you know? Really? And, and so started it and I got all these great people, you know, Larry Livermore from Lookout Records, which I don't know if you know Lookout Records, but they were the ones who signed Green Day or oh, on, and, and the Donnas and Op Ivy and all that stuff. But I, I got a lot of like queer icons. Um, Henry Rollins, who's not LGBTQ as far as I know, but he contributed stuff, um, you know, and, but the big thing was the message board it was everybody from around the world, but really in the United States were going on the message boards and then the forums to just to talk music, you know, Holy but, shit. but, but, you know, and, and be gay at the same time. Dude, I, like I'm thinking about that and I'm just like, that's fucking cool, dude. You made a community. Like where it, I there did. maybe wasn't a community I did, there. and it was around for a really long time. Dude. Yeah. And then I got hacked in it, and then that was a whole long story. But, oh, but and then I shut the, it was just became too much, and I shut the site down. Like, But I had it around for probably a good eight years. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I just, I think that that's really cool. Like something to me that I've 
always loved about music since like my first kind of going to shows like DIY mm-hmm. shows is the feeling of community. It's yeah. like feeling like an outcast and then finding something where you like fit in. So I can only imagine to like go back to a whole different scene where like being gay in this scene maybe wasn't as accepted or outwardly taught. I don't know. It, it was it, it was accepted. I, I never totally. I never okay. really necessarily felt threatened or okay. any of that cool. stuff. You Good. know, it was early on. I, I I had a lot of friends and a lot of support. Good, cool. But but um but there weren't necessarily a lot of out other out people out you know there. Yeah. You know, in the yeah. scene that I knew of at least. Yeah. But the, the community was small. I just think that's cool. Like all of yeah. that was to say that like, I think community in music is one of the most important, most magical things yeah. about it. So the fact that you added something to that in your own way, that's so close to you sure. is like another level of respect. And, I didn't know that. I did not that, know. I, I knew I, that you, I thought you had a blog. I thought yeah. you just wrote about stuff. No, I had no, no, no idea. Yeah. And then at that time, interesting enough, when you talked about community, you could go to Chain Reaction, anybody could go to Chain Reaction alone and probably find five of their friends there. No, you shit. know, I used to go to Chain Reaction all the time I, to the point where, where you know, I got in free. Especially when I was working at Fearless, if there wasn't a show that I had to go to and I wanted to go see a show, I would just walk in. You know, they wow. they, they they knew me. Yeah, I would just go alone and I would see ten people I knew there. I'd be hey, you know, Community. like and and everyone was like that. It was just really a neat place. I I equated to like CBGBs of the West Coast. Because, wow. and I think it's that legendary because, um, because there are so many great artists that went through there, um, not only playing, but as, you know, spe- spectators or, you yeah. know, and, and just industry people and all that stuff. It was a really, it was a, f- it was a really fun time. You know, what's cool is like, even as like my generation, like being 30 now, like ever since touring one i knew of like west coast i knew chain reaction i knew that that was the spot yeah and then going there being able to like start touring with bands and having shows there i knew it was special and even to this day like pre-pandemic it just always feels special like even you just know it's like this is t-shirts on the walls and all that stuff it was yeah yeah, but it's crazy that like the community never left there i like that a lot and it's cool to hear that it goes that far back yeah Okay, so damn, you're doing that. You get a little bit burnt out at Fearless. I go to Indie Click. Yeah. I start making money. And then we were acquired um, at like five or six years in. We were acquired for a lot of money. I'm not going to say, mm-hmm. you know. And then we went to a parent company. And about 18 months after we were acquired, we, um, they shut us down. Really? And so I was like, all right, fuck it. Fuck you. You know, what's that scene in? whatever fuck you fuck you fuck oh, you you're waiting? cool fuck yeah, you yeah, yeah. i'm fuck out you. fuck you yeah, 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 yeah. i think it's is it waiting <laughs> i was just waiting. talking it about was, that I, I don't know what it was but uh, i want to say it was like dazed and confused or something like that but no dude it's more recent than that I, I, whatever it was <laughs> okay whatever uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> going figure so it out deep, research where all my comments. friends it's now a movie podcast yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but i was just like okay um you know and i was making a ton of money again and I wasn't necessarily happy doing what I was doing. Um, again, I just kind of got burned out on it again because I wasn't necessarily fulfilled. And then I was kind of fucked around for six months and traveled and did whatever the hell I wanted to do. I call it my summer of George, if you use the Seinfeld, <laughs> Seinfeld the reference. Seinfeld reference. Um, but was that that was like the S four days too, huh? That yeah, was you getting into yeah, some yeah. money and like yeah, it was it was prior, it was I, I bought my S four during that mm-hmm. during that time, right? Mm-hmm. 
and then and then I left IndieClick and decided to, to downsize to an A4. Uh, we can add this out. This is car. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, I think like my listeners know enough. Yeah. Like they they know I like yeah. A little bit of um, but then I got a call from Epitaph. I heard that there was a, an opening, and I knew the general manager. I knew everybody at Epitaph really. And I submitted my resume, and I interviewed. And I was driving home after the interview, and they called me up, and they said, "We want to hire you." Oh shit! And I said, "Okay, twist my arm." I'm there <laughs> and and this is where this is where my knowledge of music history helped me out again because the president of anti records him and i really bonded over like jazz like you know like old jazz guitar players from the 1930s mm-hmm. you know wow. and yeah. you know and <laughs> some deep cuts right it was you know it was just one of those things i knew all about i knew everything that was going on in the music business because because of indie click i was working with all these labels everyone would tell me gossip and all that stuff so so i had my finger on the pulse i knew what was going on and then when you know epitaph was an amazing experience mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's crazy and that's definitely like I, I feel like i feel like we became even closer friends around that time because yeah. it was like you were kind of back at it you were like back in the yeah. scene and that was like when i was like maybe I was working in an indie label or maybe I was managing, but like you would like kind of even become a bit of a mentor in those days and you were in it as well. And that, that was a cool little, I was there. deep in it. Yeah. I was, I was neck deep, not, yeah. not the band, but uh, yeah. I was neck deep in it. Yeah. South by every year, like at artists playing and, and, you know, I was going to shows all the time and, and it was like, these are big artists. Like it was doing, I was working on rancid records and right. You know, and stuff like that. So that's cool too. I didn't think about it, but like, you doing that like that chapter of your life is pretty cool because it still ties into your exact same punk community and all that like yeah. what a perfect fit yeah yeah but then even then that's what god you've done so much <laughs> <laughs> well i left I, I left epitaph i was only there for a couple years um and i left epitaph and and went to go work with the maddens okay and then those are the management days the management days yes and that's and when I left Epitaph, I was kind of really disillusioned with with working in music, and and uh, there was a point in time where I just I thought, you know, maybe I don't want to work in music anymore. Yeah. But music's like the mafia, and well, I, there's two there's two analogies that music is like the mafia, but it's also like an abusive relationship. Like you try to leave music, and music says you can't leave me. Nobody's gonna love you like I do. And you're like, yeah, I you're hate right, that, dude. I hate how accurate. And that is. and then and then music pushes you down the stairs and breaks your arm, and um and I know this is a really bad analogy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm probably gonna get canceled for this, but if you're in um, a relationship like this, leave. Yes, please yeah. leave. But he, music pushes you down the stairs and breaks your arm, and he says, "I'm sorry, baby, but you just make me so mad. I'll make it up to you. Here's a platinum record." And you're like, "Okay, I'll stay." And um. And then, and then you're like, you're done. You're fed up. And the, and music says, we, you can't, we can't, you can't leave me. We got to stay together for the kids. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck, you're right. You know? Um, and it's just like, it's a big abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like the mafia where it's a bunch of like, you know, good fellas hanging out, 
you know, like if you think like the 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 chain chain reaction is the is the mob hideout and all the good fellows are are there hanging out and you have your certain levels of of mafia dons and whatever, um, it's you know, but it, it is you know, and and there's that what's that scene in Godfather three or whatever where he says as soon as I think I'm I'm done they pull me right back in you know, Wait, so is it a movie podcast because we could <laughs> there you go that, there you go that, uh, but. There's certain times where I think, man, why did I just become a computer programmer? Mm-hmm. And then there's certain times where I feel like, um, like I can't do anything else. I tell them I shrink this all the time. You know, it's like, it's like I, I just don't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. Well, especially because you experienced something else very early in your life. Like sure. You had that job where you made money, and then you went to a job where you made relatively no money, but felt so happy. Yeah. So I would imagine that, like, that's I felt like I was a... making an impact on something. Exactly. I was doing something yeah. for somebody else that was really cool. And you know, to see my artist, like, you know, when Plain White Tees, you know, went number one in the nation for mm-hmm. Heather Delilah, I thought this is fucking cool. Too. This is great. Like, you know, and then of course, even before that, I went out to drive in. You know, at the drive-in was was touring with you know uh, Rage Against the Machine. They're opening for Rage Against the Machine, and you know the Bon or Bono and the Edge were on MTV saying that that you know at the drive-in was the 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 best band of this generation and stuff like that. You know, you're sitting at this record label. We're all, we're all looking at you like, did they just did we just hear that? Like you're like, what? This is our this is crazy. Yeah. This is insanity. Yeah. Fuck, man, that's so nuts. I but I get it. I totally get it. And yeah. Not to shortcut or or to to too quickly cut through your management, but you kind of change like turned a page and got deeper into management. Yeah. And though you've like worked with different companies, a huge amount of your life now is like we said in the beginning, managing. Yeah. So yeah. I guess just to conclude that, like as you look at it now, do you find it more fulfilling than label life? Like, do you, is that just like the logical? Ask me in an hour and I'll give you a different answer. I see. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, cause you, it's such a weird roller coaster. It's not even a roller coaster. It's, 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 it's even more wilder than that. I like it because I'm the master of my own destiny mm. and I can pick the artists that I work with. Mm. And, and, you know, and I have the luxury of picking artists that not only do i like musically but do i but i like as humans mm. where where you know um there are certain times where i where i was managing artists where i didn't necessarily really like the humans all that much yeah and you're kind of stuck to it because you're married to your label right like you do what you right the best and but label. but also like when i was working you know with a certain management company which will remain nameless mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but <laughs> you know who i'm talking about um you know no the, the, the artists that i was working with you know, the humans weren't, they weren't necessarily all that great. And they had, you know, and I got, I, I, you know me, I'm kind of bluntly, um, you know, honest with some people. And, and I would tell artists, you know, with huge egos, I would say, you're not big enough to have an ego yet. Mm -hmm. You know, they were selling out (laughs) 3000 cap rooms and I'd say, you're not big enough to have an ego yet. Check your ego you know who you are if you're listening to this i doubt they are because it's kind of scorched earth but yeah you're not big enough to have an ego and that's the thing that i've learned throughout my whole thing in the industry is that if you work in the music business you can't have an ego Mm. and everyone has an ego Mm. i have an ego we all have egos but the more you check your ego the better off you're going to be that's how i've survived for for so long is that is that i 
check my ego out the door. Mm-hmm. I, I can't take things personally. There's certain grudges I do hold. Miley Cyrus, you know who you are. Um, I'll tell that story later uh, if you want. Um, I would be so thrilled if Miley, Miley Cyrus listened to this podcast <laughs> yeah. and like we got in trouble because of that. Sure. I would love for I Miley Cyrus. I already called Cyrus her mom the C word. So, you know. <laughs> to just hit me up and be like, yeah. Fuck you for airing that. Yeah. That's but awesome. Anyway, um, but the, the ego is like just a killer mm. when it comes to the music business. Yeah. There are certain times where I've gotten fired by clients and I think, God, this fucking sucks. And like, and especially when you have like a good personal relationship with these people and it's like, it's like you're getting a divorce. Yeah. And, but the more you, you think, okay, this is the business decision by them. Um, you know, it, it, it may be my fault, but it may not be, it's, it's their thing. It's not yeah. me. Yeah. You know, a way that I've always thought about it is like, you become so passionate about the projects you work on and you're so invested in these artists. But again, to your point of like leaving your ego aside, at the end of the day, you're not the artist. Like right. you're working with right. the artist and you're helping them facilitate. I tell this artists dream. all the time when they ask me things about the record, their records and stuff. And I say, hey, you're the one who has to live with this record for the rest of your life. I yeah. don't. Right. Like you're there to help facilitate yeah. and to get it out to as many eyes and ears and yeah, do yeah. everything you can. But like you're really helping somebody build this creation and I think that like, you know, using the example of like a manager getting fired or, or no longer seeing eye to eye, it's like, ultimately, that's just the artist like doing what they see that they need to do for the art or sure. the alignment of that. And every and artist is on their own point. different path. Yeah. And, and you have to recognize that. And and, the, and artists have to recognize that as well, that they're all on their second their their own separate path they can't yeah. compare themselves to other artists yeah. and you get that a lot you know so kind of what i'm hearing in like the the discussion of like what's better or more fulfilling label versus management is almost like choosing your tribe and choosing your people yeah because either one can be good if you have the like if you have your perfect team and your well, people and either one can be yeah. bad if you're with the wrong people sure no doubt about that i mean i'll tell you this i probably wouldn't be a manager today if i didn't have that label experience yeah wow and because um and when the stuff that i learned at fearless and the stuff i learned at any click but and especially the stuff i learned at epitaph i worked with i think especially at epitaph some of the best people in the business i have a band on epitaph right now you know and i think that they're great and i learned a lot uh from them mm-hmm. and um and i don't think if i was at epitaph that i probably would be um as I don't think it would be nearly as effective as a manager. Yeah, that's cool. I, I felt like in my much less time in the game than yeah. you, but I agree with you that if if I had not toured with bands and then worked at a label for the time that I was managing artists, I wouldn't have understood it the same way. Right. And I wouldn't have been able to accomplish and get certain things done for my artist because not only could I like speak a little bit more label speak, but I had a certain empathy of well, being yeah, like, I'm not exactly gonna roast gonna the digital guy. Right. Like he's over here, like with all these different projects, and yeah. you know, like our A and R, like she's got all of this going on, and I'm gonna come to you and tell you that like this isn't acceptable. Like, no, you're going to bat for me every sure. day, and like right. I think that understanding the ecosystem of that was was really important. It helped me with marketing as well, and really understanding the 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 lifestyle the the life cycle of an actual release from a label perspective that helped me, you know, because labels, you know, anybody can release an album now without a label and, and 
to have that kind of experience, almost a dogmatic approach to things, pushed me in a, in a positive direction. And when I say Epitaph, also just clarification, I also mean Anti Records, which was their sister label. Right. Which you know, there's you know, Wilco, Nico Case, Mavis Staples, a lot of a lot of huge artists, Glenn Hanser, Doctor Dog, you know, everybody. Yeah, I didn't realize Doctor Dog. That's yeah, Doctor Dog was That's on crazy. it. So and so there was a lot of like. You know, it wasn't just the punk rock scene, but it was the indie rock scene. It was the 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 soul, like Mavis is a soul legend. And to work with her and all that stuff is, is you know, and just as a side story, Mavis Staples, A number one, is my favorite artist I've ever worked with in my whole life. Wow. She And she's probably the best human I've ever met in my whole life. Holy shit. She's just great. She's just wonderful. Dealing with the managers as well um, and dealing with some great managers really helped me and put me in a good position to be a manager yeah 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 that's i like that a lot and that that's good advice like again I, I love hearing those things from you because like you have time in the game to really speak to that and it, it holds more weight yeah 26 years now so crazy that's so crazy yeah. so the other piece is you started teaching and you teach at two schools yeah i teach at um the la college of music in pasadena yep and i teach at ucla yeah um and um, I've been doing it for about five years now and I love it. Yeah. It's made me really like music again. Really? Um, and really actually made me not just like music, but like the music business again. Interesting. And you know, there's a saying that for you to really learn, know about a subject is to teach it, right? Okay. You know, like the UCLA class I teach is, is about artist management. Mm. and I learned just as much from my students as they learned from me. Yeah. It's made me really go on deep dives and talk to other managers, and, and you know, I have a lot of guest speakers in my class and stuff, and I always learn something from them, but, but, um, but it's, you know, it's fun. It's, it's fun to see young, aspiring, or, or even current music industry people really doing, trying to do things. Yeah. That's funny. I like that's I feel that spiritually because of the podcast. Yeah. Like I feel the same way. It's like I'm so like so selfishly like every week I get to hear someone else's story and ask them any question and learn from these people sure. that I admire yeah. so much and then the idea that like other people can learn through that and then seeing some of my listeners and some of the people that I've met through the podcast and the friends that I've made like looking at what they're doing. I'm like, what? Like, you're killing it. Like, yeah. this is so sick. So it's so funny. It, it's like, so I weird to be that. considered a college professor. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it, it's really weird to be considered a college professor. Right. Um, and um, you're just like a chilling punk rock dude. I, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm punk rock anymore. I, yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm just a dude. But it's still weird to 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 be considered a professor of, you know, of anything. Yes. Love on music and yeah. parts of music. It's, it's just kind of surreal, but but I love it because I feel like I'm teaching the next generation of music business executives. Not everyone's going to be a music business person, mm -hmm. and some of these classes, you know, these people say, "Well, I had a way different idea of what what the music business is like, and maybe this isn't for me or something wow. like that." But you know, I want to teach them how not to be the future douchebags of America, dude. Yes, yes. You know, um, it's and look, I got to be honest with you. I've had a ton of douchebag moments in my life, mm -hmm. you know, um, and especially when I was younger, mm -hmm. I've done some really douchey things. Yeah. 
Um, and that's just part of growing is, is knowing, you know, when somebody calls you out and said, you're, you're a fucking asshole. And you're like, and you think, you know, and then five years down the line, you think, yeah, I was an asshole. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's part it's of like, growing as a human, you know, but yeah. still. But the, um, the self-awareness to look back at that and also be able to teach a class and be like, here's where I fucked up. Yeah, here's exactly. Where I've I done that. I've told a lot of the stories about, about, you know, hey, this is what I did and this is why you shouldn't do this. And this, these were the consequences. What are some of the most common questions that you get? Like, what are students asking? What are you, what do you find yourself paying attention to the most? One thing I always hear is how do I market myself? Mm. And I say, you don't market yourself. You market your output. And in aggregate, that's marketing yourself. Every single thing that you, you put out there, your music videos, your singles, you know, your remixes and all that stuff, your name is attached to that. And you market those individual pieces of content. And, 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 and all those pieces of content combined are you, but if you, if you think about it, you know, if you think, you know, how do I market myself? Well, well, you're a whole human being. And it's kind of a, a, a daunting idea to, 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 um, to think, how do I market a whole human being? Right. Yeah. But, but if you market your output, it, you know, and you, you chop it down to these individual things that you're things that you're actually working on and putting out right then then it's easier to tackle and easier to put your head around i think that's really cool advice actually like that's such a big question to answer but i really like the way that you said that yeah and i also like as i think about that i've never looked at it like that but some like a, a quote that i live with or like a an idea mindset is like anything you do do it as though you are a professional Sure. And I think that you could very easily stack that onto what professional you just said. What? Just anything. Like <laughs> yeah, it's like if you're putting out content, like yeah, yeah. if you're the front man or front person of an anything, then it's like you're a pro. Like you're the best there was. Yeah. If you're doing your first round of Facebook or Google ads, you do the research to be a pro at it. Like you sure. just do it as if you are a pro. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like adding that, like I've never heard anyone explain it quite like you. But I'm like, damn, that's sick. That's a that's a good combo right there. Yeah. That's cool. Another piece that I wanted to talk about, and I know you teach about this a bit, you talk about it, is uh, burnout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I it, it rings in my head, and I get so <laughs> mad at you because I'll be burnt out on something, and I'll, I'll hear your voice and you saying to me years ago, like, yeah. Don't burn yourself don't burn out. out right? And every time I feel burnt out, I'm like, fuck you, Adam LaRue. You don't know me. You don't know me. I'm not burnt out. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've suffered from burnout quite a few times, you know? Yeah. I mean, to the point where, like, I would drive to the office and I would literally be in tears and want to go home. Really? You know, like, burnout. And, and it creeps up on you. Yeah, you don't know dude. you're burning out until you're burned out. Dude. And then it's too late. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You know? And... And, you know, and, and part of burnout, especially in the music business, is also part of your identity because so many people who work in the music business, and I'm guilty of this as well, I have to say, um, is that their whole identity is wrapped around them working in music. And they work so much in music and it's part of their identity, so they don't know what else to do. And, and it ends up being really kind of toxic to them at the end. There's poor, there's parts of my life where I didn't go, like I didn't, I, I probably spent two years or three years not listening to music. Just I would listen to audiobooks like, because, because it felt like work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 
you know, and, and I are not listening to new music and just kind of knowing about it, you know, and, you know, driving to work in tears and thinking I can't do this and turning around and going home, you know, and just, you know, there's, there's a part of burnout that, that, you know, is goes hand in hand with, with clinical depression. Yeah. And, and so it, it was a, you know, there plenty of times where I just didn't want to do this with the help of therapy for, for many years now, by the way, if you don't see a shrink, you should see a shrink. It's very helpful. I've made a point not to necessarily try to tie my identity to, to my job and, and to take times and to set boundaries with my artists and to set boundaries with, um, with, with other, with, with myself even, you know, and not, you know, at, at seven o'clock at night, my computer shuts down and I'm watching Jeopardy. Yeah, you like <laughs> you know, your Jeopardy. I, I know Jeopardy. that about you. Yeah, um, you know, and I'm not answering emails, and um, and maybe I'll look at my email at like ten o'clock at night or whatever like that. But I'm not answering emails. Anything that 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 can be answered will happen at seven a.m. in the morning when I wake up. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's gonna die if an email doesn't get answered. Right. Like you said that thing to me one time of like this isn't brain surgery. It's not. We're like, not, it's no not life or death situation here. But okay, so to to play devil's advocate there, and I, I mean, I have run myself too, too far. I've pushed sure. it too far right. and I have very much experienced burnout myself. But something that I, I'm curious your take on this because I also think that in this day and age, people are becoming too soft and they're not understanding what it takes to like actually accomplish no your doubt. goals and to like, like hard work yeah. means working past a set eight hours. But there's no glory means... in working 80 hours a week. Right. There, there's, there's no, there's so many people I know who, who brag about, oh, I work 70 hours or 80 hours a week. Why, why? Right. Well, so where I look at it is I, I kind of have this idea in my head of like, do it to be it, not to do it. And what yeah, I mean yeah. by that is like, if you want to be the world's biggest artist, if you want to be the best podcaster, the best manager, to save yourself spinning your wheels and doing just work for the sake of work, really paint the picture of like, what does the best manager look like? What does the best podcaster, the best artist every hour that you put into it work towards that goal and remember the target remember that sure, post no doubt not just getting caught up in the like oh i'm a manager so i need to send emails today and yeah. like this this and this and like you kind of get into this like dirtle of just doing things going through the motions yeah, it's the hamster wheel yes so yeah. i think that that's helped me a lot sure but I, i'm just curious of like how you determine and how you find that balance and again like you're more you're further along in your career and you've kind of like established i have the luxury that, to say that right that, but that, I, you know yeah i think a lot of my listeners are like a similar age as myself or maybe a little bit younger but it's like a lot of people that are like really trying to make their mark and like establish themselves sure. in their beginning of their career and but you can't work 80 hours a week for a straight year no maybe maybe once once you know one week you know you're you're working a lot and you have to do all that stuff so be it that's fine mm -hmm. but there are people who 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 are working eight hours a week on saturday and sunday yeah. after they've worked you know their 60 hours a week during the it's like you know uh, somebody at epitaph um jeff at epitaph told me this uh gave me this analogy i really really like it it's like it's like a knife um, and the more you use it, the more dull it gets. Yep. You have to sharpen it. Yes. 
And the only way to sharpen it is to take it out of commission for a while and have it fixed. Yes. Yeah. That's a great, simple analogy. Yeah. I, working eight hours a week, you know, once every once in a while is, is part of working in the music business. Yes. But you know, you can't, you can't do that for a prolonged amount of time. Yeah. I don't care who you are or how young you are or how yeah. sharp you are or any of that stuff. You just can't do it. Right. Or even like, I'm thinking about like when touring comes back, like any artists that go on the road is like, when you're on tour, like your hours are crazy and yeah. you're, you're just putting your heart and soul into every day tour, and tour every, hard. Like, but you know, yeah. come home and rest yeah. and like actually like give yourself, like find those times. Cause like, that's a huge one. It's like well, artists. I talk tour. about Bieber all the time, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. you know, where this kid from age 12 to age 20 toured constantly. That's right. And didn't necessarily really have a break. If yeah. he wasn't on tour, he was in the studio. Mm-hmm. And and you know he was a kid. Mm-hmm. He didn't burn himself out. The pe- people burned him sure, out. Sure, yeah. Like when you're that young, yeah. like you have a lot of people. And but... and and he started acting out because of it. Right. But you know, it's not just it's not just kids. It's adults, and adults mm-hmm. act out in different ways than kids do. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um. And you know whether it's like road rage or right. or or just depression or whatever yeah and i think that there is an internal compass there like you can kind of catch it like you're like starting to just be on tilt and angry about things that normally don't upset you or get upset about other things or just like start to feel that you're not stoked and i also think that you can have those honest like check engine lights of life and be like okay we don't need to run it to the ground like i'm noticing signs yeah take a break it's hard it's you know and this is where like you know, having friends and having people say your grip is a little bit too tight Mm. and, and, you know, maybe you need to go take a vacation or a staycation or whatever you need to do, you know, like just, you know, if you're gone for two weeks, the world isn't going to burn down. Your artists can survive two weeks without you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Again, coming back to like, this isn't brain surgery. Yeah. 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 And also, too, I think like a lot of times it can be really hard to just speak up and be like, yo, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit right now. Sure. But I mean, if I had any friend, anyone that I work with that came to me and said that, I'd be like, yo, go do your thing. Like, yeah. We'll figure this out. Totally. So maybe there is also those times where in your head you paint the picture of like the world will stop without There's me. There's a and- culture also in the United States where people are afraid to take vacations. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, in Europe. You know, um, in certain countries in Europe, it's mandatory that you get four weeks paid vacation, yeah. and people take it. Uh, and in 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 the United States, it's different. You know, it's people think that vacations, you know, are a luxury and not a necessity. Mm-hmm. You but you need it, you know. And people feel really bad to ask for a vacation, you know, because they feel they're letting their jobs down, and and there's this, you know, that they're not loyal or or whatever it is. Um, I say, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So another piece that I wanted to ask is again, if we're like reverse engineering and playing a little bit of devil's advocate, uh, it's not devil's advocate, but, uh, let's, let's play the role of you're listening to this podcast. You're totally on board and you're like, yeah, damn, like I need to, I need to understand burnout. I need to be aware of it and I need to be mindful of that. So maybe we could talk about etiquette of, if you're an artist or like, like if you are working with industry and you don't want to burn out a, a, a fellow pal like Adam LaRue, 
what's some etiquette that artists could do or think with, like maybe you're newer to the industry and you're just now working with a team. How do you keep your team loving you? It's about, it's about understanding that these people are humans just like you mm. and, and they're not machines. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're part of your team. Your management and your team in general is no good to you if you're burnt, if they're burned out. Yeah. And, and the same, by the same token, your artist is no good to, to you if they're burned out as well. Mm. Um, and so both manager and artist have to realize that, that, that you, that there are boundaries. And I'm not saying that, you know, don't answer that call at, at, um, at 10 PM, especially if your artist is on tour and all that stuff. I had an artist, I'm not going to name the names, but literally called me four times a day, five times a day. Mm. What's going on? What are you doing? What's, what's happening? And this person was a really young artist. And, but, you know, I discovered him when he was 16 and now, and now he's 30 some years old. When he was 16 to 20 years old, I got him signed to a major label. He was really kind of like wondering what's going on. What are you doing? Mm. And it was like, kind of like a weird little brother's situation. But at the same time, I coddled him, which was wrong. Mm. And I didn't set boundaries. And he would call me constantly. You have to give your time, give, give your team time to make things happen. You have to give your team a, uh, an opportunity to stay sharp. You can't flip out and be like, you know, why are you leaving me for two weeks? Right, right. You know, why aren't you coming to my New York show? It's your mom's birthday. I don't care. You need to be here. Right. Wow. Yeah. I, like, I, I've somebody actually told me that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is an interesting thing. It's like the same way as a manager, you have to check your ego and be like, I'm not the artist and I'm here to facilitate that. Yeah. The artist has to remember too, like this isn't just your like peon employee, like this is your sure. ride or die here. Right. Like y'all are going to battle together. Most, most definitely. And like I said before, I've told artists, you know, you're not big enough to have an ego. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, you can't, don't talk to me like that. I'm not your, I'm, I'm, I'm not your employee. Mm -hmm. I'm an, I'm a person who's fighting for you. Yeah. You know, I had another artist who, you know, called me up and said, I left my hat and my vape pen in an Uber. Can you go track it down for me? Oh, and like this the, is one the of these PA artists work. that, this is one of these artists who were a really, they were bad humans. Yeah. I just told them, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's not my job. My right. job isn't to go hunt down your hat and your vape pen. My job is to, is to you know maximize your career yeah. and make you money. I'm not yeah. monetizing you if if I'm going spending three hours hunting down a vape pen and, and a hat and an Uber. You know that also makes me think I'm not going to be able to remember the book, but like talking about an executive type book where it's like how to empower your employees, and if you're going to be a good executive you wanna find the absolute strengths of your employees, like sure. find their superpower, right. find the thing that they are the best at and give them as much time as they can to do that and take things away. And that applies both to an artist and a manager. So if an artist is doing that and they're being the executive, like is that really the best way to empower your employee to be like, Fuck, go get my vape pen? Like, no, like that's not no, your superpower. Right. You're not a PA. Like, yeah. So it's like thinking as an artist, you can be like, how can I give Adam all of the platform and all of the time, like how can I ask him the least questions about this 
but just give him all uh, of I don't this mind questions. Here. That's the thing. Or sure, I, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also too, for you as a manager, you could also look and be like, okay, cool. My artist shines when they are in the studio specifically writing. Like that's yeah. their spot. How can I block out all the other distractions and get them there? I'm doing that right now with with Gravitz. Is you know these there's a lot of stuff going on right now, a lot of great things and. And it's about keeping him on task. Yeah, yeah. And really kind of getting in the weeds when you when when it's fine to get in the weeds. But yeah. you know, you st- as a manager, you still have to look at big picture. But yep. but it's it's okay to get in the weeds with your artist and say, you know, this is this is your this is your to do list. Right, right. Yeah. Stay focused. Yeah. Don't worry about the poster or don't worry about right. you know any of this stuff. This stuff will will take be taken care of. Just do what you need to do. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I I just think that like that idea and the just that give and take of Mm -hmm. like finding that dynamic. And I guess you could even come back to and bring that back to what you were talking about, about like how you've worked with great people and crappy people, both at labels and management. It's like when you have that rapport and that dynamic with your people, that comes a lot more naturally. And you're probably going to get asked less to get Uber or vape pens out of Ubers when you just naturally are friends and have a respect for each other. Yeah, totally. You know, that's, that's a great point is that, is that, you know, the artists that just don't have respect for you in general, not not just respect for your boundaries, but respect for you in general. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the, this artist in particular just didn't have respect for me. Right, right. You and know, it's like, yeah. that's so okay. It's like, you're not always going to get along and whatever. Like, maybe there's an artist that you're not going to respect the project. But sure. like, you can do everyone the favor and just not work together. And that's yeah. fine. The world will go on. But I think that like, that like respect is such a powerful thing it's it's a huge thing and and you know it's and this artist you know i i this is really a shitty thing to say but i have a little bit of schadenfreude because this artist you know is is a shell of what they used to be and i think it's partly because they're they're not necessarily really great humans and i think a lot of people caught on to it well check me out if we want to if we want to full circle the pod we could hypothesize that perhaps they are a little too burnt out and maybe they have lost focus of what actually mattered. Perhaps. And this could have been really- I have a feeling you know who I'm talking about here, but- uh, I, Honestly, I because you've worked with so many people and you have uh, so many stories, I'm not dead on it and that's okay. fine. Like it literally right. doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't, but sure. I just, I love the- I love the lessons and the examples that can be learned positive and negative and mm. it, it's cool to- it is cool to specifically get into the weeds with this conversation and talk about this because it's like, this is where I feel like there's learning to be had and like where it's like, damn, like Adam has some years in, like, let me let me prod and ask some <laughs> questions here. I feel like we're probably right around our time mark though. Yeah. Did I miss anything uh, it, like it, integral, integral to the story? What, I don't, what is I the don't pronunciation know. on that? Integral? I, I always I, integral. I, integral. Sure. I yeah, always yeah, say yeah, integral, but yeah. it's not. It's integral. <laughs> yeah, it's Did not, I miss anything? It's not integral? Accurate. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That's what it is. It's yeah. my integrity. Yeah. yeah. Um I, I I don't think so. I mean, there's always like all these weird small things here and there, you know, but um, but I think I think we've captured it. Oh yeah. I think so too. I mean, this was great. Like this is to me a perfect episode of learning a story. There's so much about your story that I didn't know that I learned. And then on top of that, getting into like actionable advice that somebody listening to this can really start thinking with. And but like, you know, hopefully the somebody hears this and they don't burn out. Hopefully yeah. we saved someone a little bit of burnout and hopefully managers and artists have a slightly better rapport because right. they understand that yeah. respect. Go see a shrink. And that dude, I that's a big one too that 
it doesn't even matter like what you believe in or where you come from or what that therapy is but just like finding that like finding it's really nice to have somebody to call you out on your bullshit yeah to be honest with you and trust me my 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 therapist he calls me out on my bullshit a lot of times you know and then there's certain times where i have nothing to say and we have nothing to talk about and we just shoot the shit you know, right. but but yeah. it's nice to have somebody who's completely objective, yeah. who doesn't give a shit if you work in the music business or not, right? Um, or any of that stuff, and and just says, you know, tells you you're being an asshole, or or you know, tells you to calm down, it just gives you perspective. Right. It's hard, you know, to to gain perspective, and I think it's I've been going to therapy for years now, yeah, yeah. and 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 it's really helped me, um, I think, stay in the music business. That's cool. You know, it's, it's helped me gain and keep perspective. Yeah. That's, that's again, great advice. Yeah. Came on and dropped some bombs, my dude. This was good. This was really, I I? I don't know. I guess I did. Why? We've been wanting to do this episode for so long. And I just like, I'm honestly, I don't necessarily like doing press, so to speak, or whatever, like, you know, um, we've talked about this. I had been wanting to do this episode for so long. It's great. It's, It's been a wonderful experience, but but you know they're the i don't know if you know who lou wasserman is but lou wasserman is the guy who founded mca pictures back in the 30s or 20s or whatever like that and he had this saying is a stay out of the spotlight because it fades your suit oh, wow. and 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 i've really liked that saying because really it's not about me mm-hmm. you know as a manager it's about my artists mm-hmm. i don't go on panels i don't do podcasts mm-hmm. i don't except for this one um but i i don't do a lot of that stuff because it's not about me and it's not about my success or any of that stuff. It's it's really about about my artists. Yeah. Yeah. But what I what I could challenge you on that and, and I've had this discussion with a couple of like the the very rare gems of folks that I've been able to get to do pods is like where I really appreciate it is like that's awesome. That's so humble. And that is how it should be like with your team. Like it is a more behind the scenes role. But when I was coming up in music and when I was trying to learn about it and when I knew I wanted to be industry and I didn't want to be an artist, I didn't have a resource of information because these people don't talk. And like you can only DM people and ask them to get coffee so many times. Like (laughs) they only have so much time, whatever. So when people like yourself do take the time to just take an hour and talk about these things, it's like something like where you're sharing so much and I, I really make a point on the podcast to make sure that I'm not just like going for only artists because I think there's so much to learn from people like you. Mm-hmm. So like that's where I'm extra appreciative is like I, I totally get, get it, it and I respect yeah, you staying right. out of it. But like yeah. when you share things like this, it's really helpful for the next generation. Which I is hope awesome. I can help. Yeah. yeah. That's what I want. I just want to be able to help. Yeah. I mean, dude. You you certainly have helped me along my journey, and I feel like this was a very helpful conversation. Oh, so thank that. you. For, and your pedicure looks great. Oh my god! It's <laughs> we went with the aqua blue for the listeners. It's completely done. Yeah, and it looks this great. This was this perfectly yeah. quiet uh, yeah. salon, and it's great. <laughs> Perfect, <laughs> tight, bro. Thank you, man. This was an honor. Thanks for having me. This is fun. This yeah. is great. This was really cool. So there it is, Adam's episode. I hope you got something out of that one. I feel like he's such a smart, rad dude with so much experience in the industry. It was a real honor to have him on. And a quick little note as well is there is a bonus episode with this podcast on the Where Are All My Friends Patreon. We did a quick little rapid fire round of some of his favorite content and media and things that inspire him. 
And you can find that at patreon.com slash where are all my friends. If you want to help the show in any way at all, even if it's not supporting on the Patreon, really just sharing these episodes with your friends that you think will get value out of them, telling your friends about the podcast has been the whole way that this has grown. And it is so appreciated on my end and it's totally free. So if this episode was something that helped you and you know somebody that would enjoy it, send it to them, post it on socials, anything like that. If you want to go above and beyond even there, you can just rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe and leave a comment on YouTube. Any type of interaction with the podcast helps their discovery algorithms show it to more people, which is also immensely helpful. That's that. I hope you enjoy. As always, I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening.